hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Welcome back everybody to the Places We'll Go show. Another fabulous episode in store. Very privileged to have Paul Mead on the show. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Richie. Great to have you on, and uh, I'll, I'll give a bit of background to, to Paul's prolific career in the marketing and advertising world. Paul is no doubt a marketing expert, an entrepreneur. He's been in the industry, the digital advertising world, for over 25 years. So really, man and boy, seeing the, the world of digital evolve right from the, the very beginning. He started his career in publishing and worked on his very first banner campaign in 1998, yes, in the last millennium, Paul was doing digital advertising. Um, then took a big leap of faith and joined UK Net Guide just after the crash in 2000. So this is sort of a, a dot-com, post-dot-com. Uh, and he built that business to over 2 million users a month and, and essentially was one of the first social networking sites in the UK. Then took a detour 2006 and uh, founded a digital marketing agency called VCCP Media which he led for 11 years. And there's just a catalogue of achievements in and around the digital advertising world. Currently, Paul now has a really interesting split between his chief strategic advisor at Jellyfish, which I know many people will have heard of, a really rocketing marketing performance company, over two and a half thousand staff, 38 offices, and really they help clients navigate through the world of the big platforms, Google, Netflix, Uber, Amazon. The other part of Paul's world is working for a company called Vitruvian Partners. And so he is an advisor to a company that uh, helps rocketing growth companies through their growth phase. So a growth investor with over 12 billions, billion of assets under management, helping companies like Farfetch and Skyscanner. So this is the world of private equity that we haven't really talked about on the show. Uh, so that's gonna be a fascinating new insight. Uh, but but so much more as well. Uh, Paul is a fellow of the IPA. He's a consultant to Google, Google, a mentor at Techstars, and a member of the Microsoft Advertising Advisory Board. Also, you wouldn't have thought it. He's a, not a nature boy as such, but he loves his nature. Passionate bird watcher, young ornithologist of the year in 1985. Who knew? It's the first ornithologist of the year we've had, young or old. There we so, go. So there we go. Uh, but also in terms of context, it's important to know Paul's a, he's. East London boy, made good, West Ham supporter. That won't please everybody. But there we go. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and really, boy made good. So big believer in social mobility, went to a comprehensive school, doesn't have a degree. Nobody in his family's ever been to university. So not that it's a badge of honour, but it's just a thing that Paul is a big advocate from a social mobility point of view. Paul, fabulous to have you on the show. You're going to bring loads of colour to everybody's lives when they listen to this. Brilliant to have you on. Thank you, uh, Mark. Thank you for that uh, introduction. I think you get to a certain point in your career where you're sort of listening to some of this propaganda that you've put together uh, kind of being being played back and you're thinking, wow, wow that, 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 it's all right, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it sounds all right, actually. Yeah, when you uh, play it back like that. I mean, obviously, uh, 
uh, I probably never thought that I would be listening to a little sort of uh, summary like that being played back uh, to me. But that's very kind of you, Mark. Thank you for such a glowing introduction. You're very welcome. Well, Paul, look, I think Mark probably missed out one of the most important things, which uh, you're a wee bit hungover at the moment. So uh, tell us tell us about this. How was your night last night? Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Richie. Had to bring it up. Great. Come on. Yeah, well, you know, I don't think when people listen to this, there'll be any uh, uh, any denying it. But yeah, about six hours ago, I was on a dance floor. It was at the uh, uh, Do, which is a fantastic organization. Um uh, sort of celebrating and supporting women in uh, in the advertising industry. And last night's their big uh, annual ball. Actually, they're 99. It's their 100th anniversary next year. So if 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 last night was anything to go by, if next year is bigger, that would definitely be one to uh, one to go to. So uh, yeah, it's a 7:30 a.m. start on a cold December morning in the middle of the Christmas season. So uh, uh, diary-wise, is a bit of bit of a challenge. <laughs> hey man, we 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 put you through your paces, hey, in, in more ways Absolutely. than one. So there you go. <laughs> I'm I'm just hoping you you busted sufficient moves on the dance floor that you get invited back for the hundredth. Well, fingers crossed, Mark. You know, I like to throw myself into these things. So uh, we'll, we'll see when the scores come back. Yeah, well, very good. Well, um, yeah, this will help you clear your head and set you up for the day and, and the weekend. <laughs> so so I, I, I suppose to jump in. So let's let's start with, you know, wh where are you? How are you? What's the tail end of 2022 looking like? Give us a bit of a scene set. Yeah, uh, thanks, Mark. Well, I'm, uh, as I say, uh, talking to you guys from uh, my home in northeast London. Um, uh, as you said, I'm splitting my time between uh, uh, Jellyfish um, uh, and Vitruvian Partners. It's the usual crazy uh, running. So, uh, you know, from a, a Jellyfish perspective, as you said, we're a big marketing performance uh, company. We help big brands think about the whole world of platforms from TikTok and Snap to Google and, uh, and Meta uh, and think about how you do everything in that in that space, you know, build a brand, create compelling customer experiences, sell more things, you know, just achieve whatever you want to achieve that, that, that kind of um, uh, is a driver of, uh, of growth. So. Coming off the back of uh, Black Friday last uh, last week, it's uh, you know it's a, it's an intense time of the year. You know, there's there's budgets that 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 need to be uh, turned into something meaningful, uh, and so we've got a media side of the business which is busy thinking about you know how we help uh, those brands find audiences. We've got a production side of the business which is busy coming up with creative ideas about what we uh, what we make. So. So yeah, from a jellyfish perspective, and I think for all agencies, you know, this time of the year is uh, uh, is is really intense, even even parties aside. And then um, yeah, on the on the Vitruvian Partners side, that's kind of very much about working with the CEOs and the CMOs of those scale up companies. So they're sort of Series D plus. The sort of stage that they're at is usually thinking about you know kind of global expansion moving into uh into new markets you know identifying those those kind of vectors of, of growth and uh yeah it's uh uh it, it's it, it's it's a busy time but it's really interesting because half of the week is is kind of with an agency hat on so you think about it from the supplier side and half of the week is 
on the on the client side so you're sort of seeing all the different kind of propositions and you're trying to help clients to uh to kind of speed things up make the right calls bring the right partners in so um yeah it's uh it's a it's a it's a fun time of the year fantastic well you know you've got a particularly cool vantage point in being able to see what's currently happening in the marketplace um both from an agency perspective so impact on clients you work with and of course some major ones as well as the the partners that you have within the the portfolio at vitruvian so what's it like on the ground today what's the feeling what's the sentiment yeah it's a really good uh question richie because there's a lot of big things uh happening in the in the sort of digital uh market right now and, and more broadly i mean obviously we've got the the kind of macro factors that that everybody will be aware of in terms of the economic cycle in terms of inflation in terms of kind of post-pandemic and and the impact on the uh, on the supply chain you know cost of capital is uh is 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 obviously in a very different place to to, to what it was uh you know a year a year or two ago but specifically from a from a digital perspective, um, there's been some fundamental changes. You know, Jellyfish as a uh, uh, as a business is one of uh, those those companies. We we call ourselves a marketing performance company because we think about everything that impacts marketing performance in a platform world. But we started in the world of search. We started in what what people sometimes call performance channels. You know, SEO, PPC, programmatic. These are all biddable channels. They rely on like strong data coming through, you know, at a user level, you make a calculation about what that user is worth to you and you make an appropriate bid. And there's this whole sort of amazing kind of end-to-end -end chain built on data that helps you to kind of drive decisions about your marketing. And, you know, that's something that has fundamentally changed uh, uh, in uh, in the market because of a number of things some of the things that uh that apple have uh have introduced into the market uh with their um uh, att uh um uh, app tracking transparency rules where they no longer where they give you get a little prompt you might have seen it on the uh on the uh the app stores about whether you want to allow your data to be shared with a uh, uh with with the app uh with the app developer and that's fundamentally changed the, the the market. The market is shifting. It's not just Apple. Google are, are on a similar are on a similar track to this more privacy first world. This privacy safe world. So instead of getting user level interaction and data, we now get data at a much higher level, almost like at a cohort of uh, uh, of. Uh, of people so instead of an individual with a device and all of that kind of history about what happened before which is obviously an incredibly rich data set if you're looking to try and forecast what someone might do next or what they might buy next that's now really changed so you've got a whole industry at the moment which is which is sort of adapting to a new playing field a new paradigm and meta as a uh, as a business which was one of those i think that was probably most impacted by uh by some of those apple changes well, it wasn't just meta it, it had a, it rippled throughout the industry if you think about what they built as an advertising platform they have had 
a pixel on every website on the internet for 10 years. And they've had their SDK, which is a little bit of tracking code you put on an app, on every single app for like 10 years. And the data that's ingested from that, all of those little interactions with every app or website, everything that you've looked at or bought, how that's gone into creating a, 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 an, an ad platform, that's a huge thing. And, and if, and if a, a big chunk of that data that's coming in goes away, it takes a, a you know it takes a significant effort to try to 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 readjust. So it's a really kind of people. So when you put all those macro factors aside, which we're all kind of aware of, there's these fundamental shifts that are happening in digital to this you know privacy safe kind of uh, world, and it means that we're losing that signal, that user level signal that a lot of that most companies used to use to to reach their audiences. And it's interesting because on the one hand you think, oh well, you know. Apple made the change. It's affected other big tech companies. Uh, it's probably been a 10 billion hit to, to Meta's revenue. You think, oh, it's just big companies affecting big companies. But actually, this was the way that millions of e-commerce businesses found their global audience. You know, one of the most exciting things about the internet or one of the things that I, you know, love about this industry is the fact that you could be a creator a tiny business in Johannesburg or wherever you are in the world. And pre-internet, your world was your local town, village, market, wherever you could take your goods to, to sell them. Through the internet and through platforms like Google and, uh, and Meta, you had a global audience of billions of people who were connected to the internet. And you had ways that you could efficiently reach that audience. Now, you didn't know anything about marketing. You weren't a digital marketing expert, but the platforms made it easier to connect a creator, a maker, a seller with billions of people. They could discover their, 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 their product. And that is a link which is now being challenged. We'll find ways around it. You know, there's there, there'll be there'll be sort of solutions to this, but it's a structural change in the mm -hmm. uh, in the market. And so it's a really, I mean, people sort of talk about it, but because it gets into slightly geeky areas, they probably don't talk about it uh, uh, enough. And that's, so for everybody in digital and for everybody who's in e-commerce really, or selling things or trying to connect with a with, with an audience, it's a, it's a big shift. The, the world is certainly changing. Uh, I won't be buying shares in Meta anytime soon, I have to tell you. Uh, I, I would now, uh, personally. Okay, so you think they've 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 hit the bottom? Well, interesting. We'll see. But I mean, obviously, uh, let's put all the usual caveats in there that yeah. this is not investment advice and blah blah blah. But yeah, very interesting. I read an article about the fact that ultimately it's it's the change in Apple that's really ripping the high out of Meta. But yeah. but clearly, clearly, Paul, you're a digital guru. Let's go all the way back. What what got you into the industry in the very first place? Well, now we're really stretching back into the misty uh, annals of time, uh, Mark. But um, as you said, I mean, uh, I started in publishing and even uh, I think getting into in, into that, I finished my A-levels at school, got some pretty average results, got a B in physics, which I was pretty pleased with. I got a C in maths. I got a D in English. So, I mean, that, that was pretty, pretty bang average. Um, and also I had no idea what I wanted to do. And, you know, the thing that, that, that sort of, um, 
uh, adults ask young people all the time is what do you want to do it's like like i don't know i mean like inspire me with something i mean like i, I could probably do millions of things but i actually have no idea what i want to uh, to do Anyway, cut a long story short, um, I was, uh, I did, I've done, I've done lots of different jobs. Uh, I've worked in a flour mill. I've worked you know, on a, uh, a building site. I've, uh, I've worked in so many different businesses. And I saw an ad in the evening standard one day that said, earn a hundred K OTE on target earnings. And underneath that, it said no experience necessary. And I sort of got my pen out, thought, oh, that sounds exactly what I want to do. I've got no experience. <laughs> I want to earn £100,000. Silver bullet. Uh, I thought, this is it. I mean, you know, you're just flicking through the evening standard on the tube coming home. And I thought, you know what? There's a company out there for me. That it sounds brilliant. Anyway, so I called them up and it turned out to be, uh, as you would expect, not uh, everything that the ad uh, 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 promised, but it was a... Uh, uh, a media sales business in the West End. So they produced these magazines uh, that went to this sort of international kind of audience in, in lots of different sectors. And basically, they trained a team to try to sell ads in those magazines over the phone to CEOs. You had to speak to the MD or the CEO of the company. So basically, it was like this trading floor. You had two weeks of intensive training. It was commission only. And it was like something out of a movie. So when somebody sold a sort of full page color, and by the way, these were magazines that nobody had ever heard of, like sort of, uh, I don't know, Business Director International magazine, or I mean, no one had ever heard of any of these magazines. And you had to get through the uh, gatekeeper on the telephone by being charming and, uh, and polite, speak to this managing director or CEO and pitch this it didn't sound like a magazine when you pitched it. It sounded like some international project where you were working with heads of states and Nobel Prize winning people. And the MD on the other end of the phone was like, wow, what even what even is this? And you'd get round to the fact that there was an opportunity for his company to be involved in this project through this magazine. Anyway, so uh, I, I did this for... Uh, this is the Wolf the, of Wall Street. Um, it, was, a, it was a bit... I mean, the characters in it, because... Uh, you had to sort of project this sort of air of gravitas and uh, and you're talking to a, a CEO. And I'm, bear in mind, I'm like 19 years old. I'm trying to make out that I'm some business mogul on the other end of the, of the telephone. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was just following the script. But people who were really good at it were sort of actors in between jobs who would come out with all of it, embellish the script, and they'd be standing up and pacing around their desk. And 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 when you when you when you sold an ad, your name came up with the amount on a big red LED screen that went around the uh, the office, and everyone whooped and cheered. Anyway, I, I thought this is what the media industry was about, because right? I mean I, I had no clue. And, uh, and anyway, I, I bumped into a recruitment agent after about a year of doing this. And uh, I told him the company I was working for. He said to me, how long have you been there? I said, oh, about a year, 18 months. Something like that. He's like, well, people normally last about two weeks there. <laughs> I said, yeah, I didn't notice that, actually. Like everyone I joined with was gone after about seven days. He was like, you do know that there are people who make magazines that people actually read 
like and, and there are like sort of proper publishing companies that have got like a you know like readership and people like to advertise in them I'm like is there oh okay well maybe get me a, a job in, in in one of those and that's so so he did and I joined a, a more established uh, uh publisher and and that's kind of how I got into into the media world you learn how to hustle I learned how to uh, to hustle there. I mean, what was really interesting about it is that um, you sort of learn a, uh, a lot about the kind of psychology of uh, of, of sales in a, in, a, in a job like that, which when you think about marketing, I mean, we're trying to sell things, you know, we're trying to sell an idea, we're trying to sell a, 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 product, a product and, you know, thinking about it always from the perspective of the customer and understanding what their motivators are, what's in their head, you know, that when people talk about building brands and communication and things like that. It's a it's a little space in someone's brain we're looking to occupy for a brief moment, like associated with something else. And it's it's interesting because it is like a it, it's all it's all kind of psychology. And that, that that I think was the most interesting part of it, which is how you could put a script together of just words that could make somebody not make somebody but encourage somebody to do something in uh, a, 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 on a platform that they'd never heard of 10 minutes before you sort of picked up the phone and uh, and called them and oh, it's interesting because you learn about the art of sort of questioning and 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 if you're asking the questions you're leading the conversation and and having questions prepared and how questions can a bit like a marketing funnel can take you down a funnel from a broad concept that you'd never heard of before down to a moment of action where you take a decision and go actually yeah I don't want to miss out on that I'll, I will do that now and it's you know on impulse so, so that that, that although it was a terrible job and commission only and I didn't earn any money really um uh, I did learn a lot I tell you it's, it sounds like the the ultimate performance marketing advert without the <laughs> You know, I think uh, Les Burnett, Peter Field will probably have a field day on the um, you know, the sixty forty split of that one. But um, completely, yeah, 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 that's very true. It, Richard. it I is. Want to unleash them on that? Uh, scenario. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, you know, Paul, uh, amongst the fascinating world that you you came from in that experience, the one thing that you did say, and I, I find it fascinating. God, I, I wouldn't even like to name how many decades later that you're still able to name your exact GCSE grades. And it's implanted, right? It's an implanted from that from that young age, and it stays with you to this day. And I and I wonder, you know, what impact that thought would have had on you know the non-academicy, getting into the way you did, all the rest of it. And I think we underestimate, and I think society and certainly the education system does the impact and influence that this sort of these badges, which are quite arbitrary in many ways. Um, have on a person throughout their lives yeah yeah completely and it's you only need them to get through to the next stage gate so nobody cares about your GCSEs when you've got A levels nobody cares about your A levels when you've got a degree nobody you know and it's like you're using them to kind of get through to the uh, to, to, to the next stage and often I think when you're doing them coming back to that point about you know, adults asking young people what they what they want to do for a living. We've got this kind of 
crazy sort of mismatch between all of the jobs that are out there even if you just take an industry like ours and this is replicated across every single industry uh, around the world you know people don't even know these jobs exist let alone that they might be a good match their skill set and personality might be a good match for those jobs and there's this real sort of like blocker between all of this talent which is still in the education system and let's be honest the education system and an academic um, uh, sort of process is not for everybody, but people have got different kinds of talents and, and some people are just great in the workplace and you want to get them into the workplace as quickly as possible. But they don't know that a lot of these roles exist that would be a brilliant match for, for their skills. And I, I always think we've got, you know, there'll, there'll be some kind of technology kind of solved for this, I hope, which improves what the kind of experience I had with my careers advisor at school where you just got told about, you know, jobs, you could be sort of lawyers or policemen or, uh, you know, whatever it is, but just like a small group of, of potential sort of established careers. And yet in our industry, you can be a social producer, you can be a search analyst, you can be, you know, there's all these different titles that nobody has a clue they even exist. And they might be the, you may be the perfect social producer, you may be the perfect performance marketer, but we have to match the talent to the jobs. And yet, in when you think about that challenge in other worlds, like dating, there's a whole bunch of people out there, one of them's right for you. How do you find them? Well, you use an algorithm which matches personality traits and attributes to to someone else. Now, surely there's 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 a role for something like that where you have some kind of inputs and a whole bunch of jobs that you'd never even known about before are spun out. And those type of things could, you know, uh, could take you on a different uh, take you on a different path. Yeah, well, I hope uh, I hope Bumble, someone from Bumble or Tinder is listening in, or even Thursday. Maybe There's an know. idea there, guys. Maybe be, uh, we should catch up on that, that one. <laughs> but it, but it's isn't it? You know, Richie, your point is that you know it's 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 a bit arbitrary what some of these qualifications mean, and and it's what's inside us that really matters. And for you, Paul, you know, in 2006, you made that break. You set up VCCP Media, took the risk. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to grow something out of literally nothing. Yeah, I mean, um, I'd already been in that kind of startup environment, uh, you know, for six or seven years. You know, I moved from a, uh, a publishing uh, company where we just, you know, the internet was just kind of, you know, this sort of quite, quite sort of clunky thing. There were these little sort of rectangles we called banner ads and buttons. And, and we, were, we were sort of, we were starting to think about you know how they could be how they could be used and um yeah just after the dot-com crash um uh i uh, made the jump from publishing to a, uh, to a, a dot-com with a, uh, a few other a few other guys and we started with one site and built that up and then we launched another site and in the end we had a network of about 200 different sites we were we were really good at search engine marketing at, at, at creating some content optimizing that content and also buying traffic in and arbitraging that traffic it was an ad funded kind of uh model um and so we did that for uh six or uh or, or seven years uh ended up as um 
as CEO of that business. And that was the first time that we tried to exit a business, tried to sell a business. So we created something from nothing to about 2 million users a month. It was a, you know, it was a good business. We had lots of advertisers, lots of the, the UK's biggest advertisers were buying traffic from us and advertising on our sites. And um, I bought a book, which I've still got on my bookshelf somewhere called the dot-com millionaires Bible of all the things that you should do and shouldn't do. I think we did a lot of the things that it says you shouldn't do. And, uh, but it was the first, you know, we had a big company come over from the US. There were, you know, negotiations on a, uh, uh, on, on an exit. And, um, and I think that was a good example of uh, an exit where we could have done it a lot better, but we <laughs> learned a lot. So we, I think we probably could say that we messed that exit up. And, you know, but we got a lot of learnings from that about how, uh, you know, how to do it, how how not to do it, which I think is often the case, right? The things that don't go well, uh, you don't make any money out of them, but you 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 you, you get a, a rich set of uh, of learnings. So, um, yeah. And uh, Mark, as you say, from now, it was about kind of going again uh, and, you know, start again from scratch almost. And myself and my uh, business partner, uh, David Midgley, uh, uh, who was CTO, two of us started uh, an agency one day. We had two desks, two phones. I think we had, we had a sort of clunky laptops then. We were like, okay, let's go. And uh, that's, what, that's, that's what we did. And then over the next 10, 11 years, we, we, we built that business up, found one client. After that, found another client, went through all the different sort of growth stages that you, you, you go through as, a, uh, uh, as an agency. And, um, and it was interesting because we, you know, we, were a digi- we were digital guys. So we were digital marketers. You know, in the beginning, we were just search marketing. And we set up this agency within, uh, uh, within another business, really, within a big uh, creative agency at VCCP. Uh, at you know, it, it was a really interesting environment because in the beginning we had no clue what everybody else did and everybody else had no clue what, what we did. We were like two guys in the corner talking about Google and everybody else was coming up with creative ideas and, you know, thinking about all of the mechanics of, of how you put together a creative campaign. I think it says a lot about sort of VCCP uh, and, you know, and their parent company at the time that they knew this was going to be a thing. And, you know, and so they, they, they wanted to, uh sort of back a company that was uh that, that was in that space but yeah it was a really really interesting journey seeing it from just the two of us up to to, to kind of where 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 we got it hopes it's still uh up and uh, up and running today which i'm i'm very proud of yeah what a what a fascinating journey and both those experiences there paul and um you know it's interesting i mean first of all congratulations on the exit you know as you say you know some amazing key learnings taken from that and, and and interesting, if you look at the stats, clearly majority of organizations don't make it through at all. And then there's actually the vast, the, the messy middle, as it were, where they just bubble along and they're not able to achieve the exit. And, and it's only a very, very small proportion that ever do achieve any sort of exit. And I guess that brings me to a thought that if there will be agency owners currently out there and in this current environment, you know, it will be it will be a tough gig, really. So if, if they are sitting in that sort of middle stage where it just feels quite bubbling, and that's kind of in many ways can be quite demotivating, um, what advice would you have for them? 
Yeah, I mean, first thing to say is that the UK in particular has this incredibly vibrant agency uh, 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 industry. You know, there's there are startups, really good startups that are uh, that are launching all of the time. You have this really amazing cycle of smart people who work at a big agency and one day suddenly decide, you know what, let's let's do this ourselves. Let's I've got a I've got a different perspective on this. Uh, find a partner, one, two people, start something off. And there are so many really, you know, uh, great success stories of how that, uh, of, of how that's happened. Um, and as you say, you've got uh, agencies that are going through all these different phases of growth. And it is bumpy, you know, when you start off, you know, that first bit, when you get to a team of 20 or 30 people, you know, I would, it's not relative, it's still a massive achievement to get to, uh, to that point, but you tend to find that, that as you're trying to scale that up to the sort of 50 to 100 people point, there are some big structural changes. You know, the way that you used to do things all in a room together and the way that, you know, your organizational philosophy that worked then won't work for the next phase. And so there are all these different challenges. And obviously, when you haven't been through that phase, you haven't got the, the sort of know how to know what you need to do so you know i think um advice wise uh you know i think it's always good to try and bring in some kind of outside eyes who maybe been through that that type of growth phase before or 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 can uh or can give you some input on what needs to be done and the thing about this industry is that doesn't mean you have to give them a seat on the board or give them a chunk of equity because there's again that's one thing i learned from doing this is that sometimes there's no need to 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 do that you know, you can just ask people in this industry and the, the people in this industry will often give their time. They'll meet you for a coffee. They'll give you a point of view. And, you know, you can get an awful lot from, from that. So having some input from people who've been through that particular stage of, of growth and can give you a bit of a view, I think, is uh, uh, is really important. And then just keep going. You know, I mean, I've chatting to a, a couple of uh guys recently who've, who've started an agency you know uh, uh within the last year you know it, starting agencies in a downturn when there's tougher economic conditions you know bit of a cliche really but it does make for a lean business you know if you can if you can create a business when times are tough you know you'll set yourself up well for for when the when that cycle changes around can i just want one, one add if i may um you know and and the, the, the advice around um, keep going is one that I often hear. When is when is the time to kind of go? Actually, maybe it's, maybe it's not worth keep going. Yeah, it's a really good uh, point, Richie, because I think sometimes it's hard to know that when you're an entrepreneur because because it's a belief system, right? You have to believe in your business to get out of bed in the morning, and you 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 have to believe in it. Even if some of the evidence tells you, you know, this is this is, this is just not it's, it's not working, and so that is a that's a tough question to to answer. You have to try and take a again an objective view or, or or get some some sometimes some some fresh eyes on it because sometimes you really want something to work, and it just won't. I mean, I, again, I I before you know uh, um, uh, starting the. Uh, uh, the, the businesses that that, that that I ran, you know, I was involved in other sort of, you know, ventures and ideas. Some didn't get past the sort of, you know, sort of very early stages, you know, others 
carried on for a while and eventually you know when you look back you almost always feel like you should have got out earlier than you actually did and that's because the belief system gives you like a lot of momentum but also it doesn't sometimes allow you to look objectively on whether you could reset this pivot to a different area you know just step back it's very difficult to step back I think once you're committed to a uh, uh, to to a particular business idea and that's where I think a, a group of people around you or or some people coming in with a fresh perspective can sometimes plant the seed that actually you're a talented person but maybe this is you're just not applying it's just the wrong you're right person but just the wrong idea yeah but very interesting to hear about belief systems and let's just focus in a little sec uh, for a second uh, people talk about growth mindsets fixed mindsets you've talked about learning a lot so it's pretty clear you've got a very strong growth mindset I think that sort of stuff is wired in right from the beginning in some way shape or form what what's the genesis of your growth mindset Paul um I don't know Mark really I mean I I always um uh I mean I sold sweets at school stationery at school when I was you know 12 13 years old you know started it off you know <laughs> buying actually from a local shop at a retail price and selling in school at very slightly higher than that retail price which obviously is a pretty bad business idea uh, but as I started to sell more, I started to go to the local uh, uh, confectionery wholesaler to the point where I was at one stage bringing in two cricket bags packed full of wham bars and, you know, uh, E number full snap crackles, all of these kind of like, you know, horrible sort of sticky sweets. And, and I, I used to sell those behind the uh, the, the, the school canteen. And um yeah, I mean, sort of car washing rounds and, uh, and like I say, lots of different things. And I guess that is, that's something that uh, uh, that, that, that I've always had. But I, I don't think you have to have something, the growth mindset is something that you can, you know, you can take the, the parts of it that are relevant for you, right, that, that fit with your personality. I think sometimes you hear about these type of sort of archetypes and you go, oh, now, have I got a great mindset? Have I not? What 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 does that does that really mean? I think it's just really being curious. It's ask you know, it's asking questions. It's one. It's having enough. It's having the sort of you know the energy to to make some change or to do something or to try to try something. And um, yeah, so I think it, it's uh, it's about taking the sort of elements uh, of it that you can you can apply to your own your own personality. We all know how we work best what our strengths are what our weaknesses are I don't think you do really know that until you get sort of later in uh, uh in your uh, in your career but yeah I think that's the for me the growth mindset is about you know when you ask questions you tend to find opportunities and often you know in in my early career that doing the simple things are what got me to the next stage not being good at what I did but just being being visible I mean I would try and get in earlier than anybody else and I'd leave later than anybody else I mean you don't have any need to have any skills to do that whatsoever but people go oh, yeah Paul's working quite hard isn't he who is that guy yeah he, I mean he's not doing anything but he's in there early and he's 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 not leaving and they're, they're just simple things that can that can uh get you noticed and again like ask coming back to questions 
asking questions, being curious, being that the, the person who would do it in your own way. You don't have to be doing it in a big room if that's not your your you know your your personality. But even approaching other people within the business and asking about something, you know, they're the types of things that I think are you know more broadly you know what what a, what a growth mindset is is all about. Thank you for that, Paul. Paul, we're coming out of time, so let me let me raise the last question. Um, you got three boys. Yeah, I just want to know what's the best advice they've ever given you. Don't go onto the dance floor. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I, I, that's a, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, I think it, it, it's interesting because um, even in my career, I people you always think you learn from people above you in your career, you know, like hierarchically, but I, I've always learned just as much from people around me as from people uh, uh, above me. And, you know, I think, you know, it's the same with having three, uh, three boys, two teenagers and one, one, one in, in their twenties. I mean, obviously I learned a huge amount from, from them, particularly from a marketing perspective, watching their habits, how they discover things, how they rediscover things. You know, TikTok is an amazing thing where young people rediscover things that have been around for a long time, you know, rediscover music that's been out there for a, a long time, discover products. My 14-year-old told me about this amazing uh, product called an air fryer. I was like, oh, wow, Jack, like, how did you discover that? Oh, I saw this great ad on uh, on TikTok. I'm like, wow, brilliant! I had heard of that, but like, that is, you know, so so so. I think there's just watching them and and talking to them about, you know, how they use it, where they spend in their time, and uh, and things like that. I think is, um, you know, it's probably the, uh, the the best learning I've got from uh, from from my boys. Thank you, Paul. Of course, there's always a clue. As soon as they say, hey, boomer, you know you need to pay attention. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Or, oh, that's such a boomer gag. Oh, God, that's like such a boomer. Like, yeah, yeah, we get all of this around the uh, uh, the dinner table on a Sunday, Mark. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, what a lovely, lovely way to end, very personal way to end. Uh, I'm going to do my best just to pull together some of the key things that I think I've heard um, to wrap the show. We, we heard about your dual career, fascinating in and of itself, that you kind of split your time between two quite separate but somewhat connected worlds. And then we went quite deep and quite technical. We heard about the impact of privacy and, and changes at Apple, the impact that's having upon the platform world, um, fascinating insights that reveals your deep industry expertise. Then we heard about the, the evening standard advert in media sales. I, I just, I'm just imagining Wolf of Wall Street uh, all the way through there, but very much about the psychology of sales, which then we went on to hear later that you were doing that out of the back of uh, cricket bags behind the, behind the canteen selling <laughs> sweeties. I mean, so it's, there's something wired into you in that regard. Um, just your purview of the, the digital landscape is, is super interesting uh, and how you exit businesses, how you scale businesses, uh, but very much about what's the underlying belief system in that entrepreneurial world. Uh, and, and just some insights into your, your growth mindset, which really obviously started very, very early. But if I try and put a wrapper on all this, I think you're, there's a couple of key things that come through. The first is you've said it, do, do the simple things and get to the next stage. You, you talked about that in the context of education, but very much about what's next. Keep it simple. What do I need to get to next? Not fancy pants, 20 year plans, blue sky, completely, you know, la la, but very practical, be focused, get to the next stage. And then perhaps above all else, um, 
I just get a sense that you back yourself, not in a not in an arrogant or assumptive or you know silly way, but you just you have built a level of confidence in your own ability to back yourself through the thick and the thin. And when it's thin, you learn and you bounce back and you get yourself to the next stage. So there's a real sort of sense of, you know, how you can build your own personal momentum through life and careers that I take out from this conversation. And that's, I think that would be very helpful for everybody to, to, to hear this morning. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that, that change uh, piece and just, you know, not being afraid of, uh, of change. I used to, put a, an, a, a quit date in as soon as I started a job on day one, 24 months later, quit. And, you know, sometimes I didn't quit after 24 months, but there was always a reminder in to make a change. And, and, and doing that even is just put yourself into different scenarios and, and you know, you, you, you'll be all right. There you go. Let another pearl of wisdom. And do you know what? We didn't even get to talk about... The young, young ornithologist of the year type. Oh, in. that's probably a good thing, uh, Mark, for my... Uh, um, Maybe that's the next one. <laughs> we'll have you back to talk about that later <laughs> on. But thank you so much again, Paul. Thank, thank you, Paul. Mark, Richie, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.